Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. We are going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. Last week, uh, we began our new year by looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, We began by taking a look at the person of the Holy Spirit. We began this journey of trying trying to understand more about the Holy Spirit. But specifically, what our focus is going to be over the next few weeks is not just going to be sort of this abstract information about the Holy Spirit. But we want to understand the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in us. That, that we, like our lives and who we are is different because we have the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit enables us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live and be different. And so we want to do our best to understand what that means. That at the end of this, you wouldn't just have some knowledge about how I'm different, but that you would be able to understand and be able to live out that difference. And last week, we, we started our look at the Holy Spirit by actually looking at the promises that Jesus made about the coming Holy Spirit. That we looked at Jesus talking about this Holy Spirit that as Tracy talked about when he said it would be to our advantage that Jesus wasn't here, but that instead we have this Holy Spirit. Jesus, as, his, as he was speaking some of his final words to the disciples, he gave them three words, three promises to help them understand this coming Holy Spirit. First, Jesus said that we would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. He said that just as John baptized you with water, so you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that what that means is is when we baptize somebody, like their whole self gets wet. Every part of them. And there's not a part of them that stays dry. Everything gets wet. And what that means is that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, it touches all of us. It doesn't just touch a part. It doesn't just change this little thing over here. But every part of us gets touched and changed by the Holy Spirit. Next, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would give them power. And we talked about how that's power to live and be different. To have our lives stand out from the world around us. See, we're not called as followers of Jesus to just blend into the background of life is we're not called as followers of Jesus to just go through our lives and have no one notice or no, it not matter. As followers of Jesus, we're called to stand out. We're called to live our lives in a way that people would go, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of those Jesus people. You're one of them, aren't you? And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do that. We're not just called to be weirdos. But we're called to be Holy Spirit-led weirdos. And so we, we are called to stand out, but not just because we're called to stand out, but as we live and move and have the Holy Spirit lead and guide us and direct us, we will stand out. 
And the third promise was that the Holy Spirit would cause us to want to live our lives for Jesus. That we would exchange the priority of our lives. That, that instead of my life being, well, it's about what I want and where I can fit God in great. But that the Holy Spirit would change the way that we see our lives. And we would say, God, whatever you want for me, that's what I want. Even if it means going to the other side of the world, as we talked about, you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And that the ends of the world still means the ends of the world. And so this week we're going to turn the page to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made to his disciples. And so what we see as we turn the page to Acts chapter 2 is we see that Jesus, before he left, told his disciples, you need to wait in Jerusalem. That, that, that was his instruction. You need to wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't really tell them what that means. He just says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And so what we can understand and what we can infer from that is that it's one of these things where like, when you know, you know. That, that if you're not sure if the Holy Spirit has come, it hasn't come. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to know. There will be this moment that it will happen and you will go, oh, that was it. There'll be no confusion. There'll be no wondering. Jesus just says, you're supposed to wait until that happens. Now, I want to stop just at this point for a moment um, because I want to take a moment... Because I think that this idea of waiting, it, it could be a word for, for someone or it could be a word for someone's here today. Because we see the disciples waiting, waiting on God to fulfill a promise. God said, I am going to do this, but you need to wait for me to do it. And so what do the disciples do? They wait. And maybe you can relate to that this morning. That you, you believe, maybe you know, God has promised you something. That, that you say, in my life, I know that there is a promise that God has given me. But it hasn't happened yet. And you're waiting. And waiting. And that's what the disciples are called to do here. To wait. And we all know that waiting is hard. It's hard not to be impatient. It's hard not to become frustrated. It's hard knowing what's supposed to happen. But also knowing that what's supposed to happen isn't happening. But for those of us today that are waiting for God for something, waiting, maybe growing impatient, maybe getting frustrated, confused, annoyed, maybe angry. God, you promised, and I'm waiting. God, you promised, and I'm trying to remain faithful. God, you promise, and I'm trying to hold out. And we sing, I will wait on you. And you think those are nails on a chalkboard. I have been waiting. God, I'm waiting. What I want you to see here 
It's at least how the followers of Jesus went about waiting. And to encourage you to think about waiting the same way that they did. See, they were waiting for this thing that God had promised them. All of their lives had been put on hold. You just don't do anything until this happens. And they don't know how long that is. And so day after day, they wake up. Maybe this is the day that I can finally get on with whatever the rest of my life is going to be. But they are waiting, waiting. But how did they wait? They gathered together with other believers. They worshipped. They prayed. They didn't allow their waiting to pull themselves away from God. To say, God, I've had enough of this. God, I have put my life on hold for you. But I'm getting real sick away. They didn't allow for their waiting to pull themselves away from their community. To say, God, I am not going to go to church today because I'm so frustrated with this waiting. In fact, God, I'm not going to church again until you give me what I want. They didn't allow for this waiting to come in between them and God or between them and their community. And as they waited, they continued to go back again and again to worship and to pray and to be with their community so that they could continue to pull themselves closer and closer and closer to God. But so often when we're forced to wait, we can end up doing the opposite to cause us to withdraw, to pull away and create distance. But I want to encourage you this morning that if you're waiting and, and you're frustrated and things are just not the way you thought they were supposed to be, to press in, to not pull away. To, to lean into God and to say, God, I, you know I'm frustrated, I know I'm frustrated, but I'm going to lean in to you. I'm going to lean in. And as we open up Acts chapter 2, we see the disciples waiting together. Acts chapter 2 begins, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. We're going to talk for a moment what it means when it says the day of Pentecost, um, because we, as sort of New Testament Christians, we, we identify the day of Pentecost as one thing, um, but it's not actually just that thing. And so we're going to talk about why that's significant in a moment. But what we see is when the day of Pentecost came, they, it's a group of about 120 or so people, they were all together. They were all there. We are waiting on God together. They all came together. And as they come together in community, suddenly, the promise that Jesus made is fulfilled. The Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, God in every way enters into their story and enters into our story in a new way. We read in verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The disciples had come together to wait for 
this moment. This moment that they would know when they saw it, but they were waiting for this moment. And then something happens. Something happens where they, oh, that was it. That was the moment we've been waiting. That was it. But it's something that can't be explained based on past experience. Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, can only really find the words to say to describe what's taking place here by way of analogy. He says a couple things. He says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, and, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. The words like, the words like, like, and seem to be are important for, for understanding Luke's way of describing the scene. Uh, biblical scholars and commentators are, are, are divided as to whether there was an actual wind that accompanied the sound or, or whether it was just the sound. But, but whether or not there was an actual wind and if they could really feel it, that, that's not what's important. What took place is described not as a natural event, but like a natural event. And in this kind of phrasing, it's common all throughout Scripture, particularly in passages that describe visions or dreams or what we would call heavenly scenes or, or when it, moments when, when the supernatural takes place. Gates, will be, gates and walls will be written as, as like precious stones or, or heavenly scenes are, are generally described using earthly analogies. Visions include things like wheels and fiery messengers and various animals that sometimes combine to more than one species that, that are confusing. And they were confusing for the people who were trying to describe what they see. These are attempts to convey supernatural visions and experiences, real things that, that they saw, that they were able to, to tangibly experience, but the words are hard to find. To describe something almost indescribable. And so we say it's like this. If you're a parent and someone said to you, describe what it was like to hold your child for the first time. It's hard to quantify that without using some kind of analogy. One of the things that, that we're blessed to have in our church is, is people from all over the place. And, and if you're from somewhere where it doesn't get this cold, and someone said, describe to me what minus 40 is like. How do you describe to somebody what that feels like who's never experienced it? The only way, it, you, you struggle to find the right way. Well, it, it's like really, really cold. Imagine how cold you can think it is and then make it like 10 times cold. Like we don't have the right words to actually describe the thing. So we do our best to describe something. Somebody says, what was the best, uh, that was the best steak I ever had. Oh, why? Well, because... It just was, that sometimes it's hard to find the right words. And so what we see here is, is Luke doing his best to describe what took place, 
But it's not necessarily that we need to get hung up on like, well, was there a wind or wasn't there a wind? Luke is doing his best to describe the scene that's taking place. And then we're we're told that the Holy Spirit comes and rests on each of them. And we're told that they were able to, to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And this is where we need to stop and talk about what Pentecost means, that it was the day of Pentecost, because this is what provides big context for why this is important. See, this story takes place, the beginning of Acts chapter 2 tells us that we're on the day of Pentecost. Now, for us as, as sort of New Testament Christians, when we talk about the day of Pentecost, when we celebrate Pentecost Sunday... It's this moment we're talking about, the moment of the coming of the Holy Spirit. But when, Act, or when, when Acts records, when Luke says it was Pentecost Sunday, he wasn't referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit. He was talking about Pentecost Sunday because that actually has a meaning apart from Acts chapter 2. That actually has, has a meaning for all of his, his listeners, peop, his readers, the, the people who, who would hear what he had. They knew what Pentecost Sunday meant. Pentecost Sunday was was part of the second annual festival that the Jewish people had to have. So every year, as a a reminder of the different moments where God did incredible things in the life of Israel, they would have these festivals. If you were with us a few months ago, we, we walked through the book of Esther. And at the book of Esther, they established the festival of Purim. Well, the first festival every year was the festival of Passover. And Passover was a reminder of the time when God freed Israel from slavery in Egypt. And so every year at the beginning of the year, they would celebrate Passover. And then 50 days after Passover, Passover was also the day that Jesus died on. But 50 days after the celebration of Passover, they would celebrate Pentecost. And so we know from that 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 this takes place 50 days after Jesus died and was rose again. But what Pentecost was, was Pentecost was part of what was called the Feast of Weeks. Because what the feast, what, what Pentecost was, was it was the day that they celebrated when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of the law. So 50 days after they were freed from Egypt, Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of the law. And so 50 days after Passover, they would celebrate Pentecost. And the reason why that's important and why that needs to kind of be understood for the context of our text was because as a way, God had commanded all of the Jewish people from wherever you were to to remember this and to celebrate this. But it involved coming to the temple. And so Jewish people from all over the known world would come back to Jerusalem for Pentecost, for the Feast of Weeks. And so the the reason why it's important that the the disciples began to speak in all of these other tongues, as we're going to discover when we look at verse 5, it will say, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under the sun. People had come from everywhere to Jerusalem. 
And so the disciples, as they begin to speak in these other languages, what we see is that all of these people from all over the world, they hear the gospel message of Jesus being proclaimed in their language. And so people have gathered from everywhere. And suddenly there's this noise and suddenly there's these men and, and women and they're speaking and they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And it's in all of these different languages and all of these people are hearing their language, the story of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus being proclaimed. We, we read, so we read in verse 6, when they heard this sound, when they heard the noise, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language spoken. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Remember, we talked about how the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit, they're meant to cause us to stand out, to, to be different. And so there's this moment where, where all of a sudden this incredible thing takes place. And suddenly these, these people, they're, they're declaring the good news of Jesus Christ in languages and to all of these different languages. And this crowd of people are hearing them and they're seeing the people that are doing this. And, and they're saying, how is this possible? They're Galileans. Now, we don't necessarily understand when they say they're Galileans. Well, what does that have to do with anything? They're commenting on their perceived level of education. They're saying, the, we, we know kind of where these people are from. We know where they came from. And they shouldn't be able to do this. Remember, there's a story when... when some of the disciples are, are coming to, to Jesus. And when one of them finds out that Jesus is from Nazareth, he'll say, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was in Galilee. That, that Galilee was, was the blue-collar end of things. And so they're looking at these folks and they're saying, like, how is it possible that, that these uneducated fishermen can speak all these different languages. How is it possible? These, these aren't, from their understanding, these aren't smart people. These aren't people that should know multiple languages and be able to speak like this. How is this possible? Because the Holy Spirit is causing them to stand out. The Holy Spirit is empowering them to be different than they would be without them. And we read this. Um, and then how is it that each of us is hearing them in our native language? And then we read all about the languages. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, <laughs> Phyriga and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This long list of languages. It wasn't just one or two. It was this wide array from people all over the world. And they're all hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed in their native language. But there's another response that takes place as well. Verse 13. We'll say, or, and they'll say, amazed and perplexed at one another. 
What does this mean? What is happening here? But then verse 13 we read, but some, however, made fun of them, saying they've had too much wine, that they're drunk. So some people are hearing the followers of Jesus speaking in their language and others in their language and seemingly a dozen different languages. And some just seem to be hearing drunken babbling. Now, one of the things that we talked about earlier is we're blessed with people from all over the world making up parts of our congregation. And occasionally, what that means is when you walk down the hallway, you might hear a conversation taking place in a language other than the one you're familiar with. Is, you know, when, when Bill and Julie are at the door and Max and Marianne come in, the conversation often is very much French. But there, there are conversations that can take place in any number of languages inside of our church. But what I've never wondered when that happens is, are they drunk? Are they, have, have they, are they drunk? That, that has never crossed my... I, I have no idea what they're saying, but I don't think they're drunk. And so what this, what, so what all, all I'm saying with, with this is, is we don't know exactly what was going on here. We don't know the mechanics of how this worked. Were, were the followers of Jesus literally speaking all of these different languages? Maybe. Was the Holy Spirit empowering them to have a, a heavenly language? And then causing all these others to hear in their own language. That might account for why they maybe sounded drunk. But we don't know the mechanics of exactly how this worked. But the mechanics aren't important. What is important is that from the moment the Holy Spirit shows up, we see the Holy Spirit empowering the people of God to do things that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. That the first sign of the, the Holy Spirit showing up is Holy Spirit-empowered ministry that takes place immediately. And the miraculous happens. And people are amazed and perplexed. What we do know is that the Holy Spirit coming on the followers of Jesus happens in this indescribable way and we read that the Spirit came and rested on each one. And this is an outward manifestation of what's taking place inside of them as those gathered in the room were filled with the Holy Spirit, which is just what Jesus promised. This is exactly what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 was going to take place. We have the power of the Holy Spirit on display as the followers of Jesus are able to do something that without the Holy Spirit, they could not do. Those around them saw something that was happening and even to people who didn't know who they were, they said, this is unusual. We read the people around them were amazed and perplexed. And then we see the transformation of the disciples. As for the rest of Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and preaches a sermon. Peter, who just a few weeks earlier deserted Jesus, disowned Jesus over and over again to, to girls, to young girls around a fire. And they say, you're, you're one of his followers, and he wouldn't admit to it. Over and over again, wouldn't admit to it. 
But now the Holy Spirit has come. This Peter, who, who upon the death of Jesus, ran back to his old life, immediately left it all behind and went back to fishing. This same Peter now stands up in front of what we're going to discover is thousands of people. And he begins to preach to them. And if you were with us last week, we paused at this moment in Acts chapter 1 where it seemed like the disciples just didn't get it. That they thought that somehow Jesus' mission was still to free Israel from Rome. That even after Jesus died and came back to life, their response was, so are you going to set up a kingdom of Israel now? Are you going to become the king now? And they didn't get what Jesus was here to do. But now that the Holy Spirit has come, now that the disciples have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, now instead of being concerned with the kingdom of Israel, now they get it. Peter says this in verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And now he begins to unpack the Old Testament for them and say, actually, when you read in the Old Testament, this is talking about Jesus. He'll say, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's letting them know no, this is what the Old Testament said about Jesus. And then he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He gets it. He understands that it's not about a kingdom of Israel with Jesus as king. But instead, Peter tells them this. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Friends, that's us. For all whom the Lord our God will call. That's us. Peter gets, it's not about allegiance to the king of Israel. It's not about freedom from Rome. It's not about the physical salvation of the kingdom of Israel. It's about the spiritual salvation of mankind. And at the end of this sermon, we see those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. The Holy Spirit comes on these people who in and of themselves just could not get it. And it changes them into people who get it. And people who are on a mission to change the world with it. And day one, 3,000 people join in the movement. Day one, 3,000 more people received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Day one, things started changing. Last week, we talked about Jesus' promise. 
And this week, we looked at the fulfillment of that promise. And I want to go back to where we started for just a second. And we talked about those who are, are waiting. Those who, who would say, I'm waiting on the Lord for a fulfillment of promise. Peter will tell us that the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promises. And what we see here is Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come. And the disciples, they waited. But when the time was right, when the moment was right, when the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to show his power through them to this mass gathering of Jews from all over the world, when the moment was just right, God was faithful. And the promise for you as you wait on the Lord is that, well, for us, the right moments may seem to come and go and come and go. And today would be a good day and today would be a good day and today would be a good day. That God knows what day is the right day. And friends, the promise of God and the promise that I can give you and the things that we count on is that the same God who is faithful in Acts 2 will be faithful in your life. But now as we, start, or starting next week, we're going to talk about what this promise and this fulfillment means for you and me. As the same Holy Spirit, the, the same Holy Spirit that we read about today, that same Holy Spirit lives inside you and I. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that as we look at the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see a picture of God, the creator of heaven and earth, coming to dwell inside of each one of us. And God, I pray that for each one of us, God, we would know that we don't serve a God who's far off. We don't serve a God who's distant. We don't serve a God with whom we, we only have fearful attempts at obedience. But God, I thank you that as we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, God, that we serve a God who's intimate, who's close, a God who walks through life with us, that each and every step along the way, we serve a God who is with us. And God, I pray that as we begin to uncover and discover all of the different things that it means for us to have you with us. God, my prayer for us is that we would be able to see ourselves and our lives in a new and exciting way. That, that we wouldn't just read about old stories and dream of what could be, but that we would be challenged by the stories that we'll look at. We'll be challenged by the gifts that we'll look at to understand that this is what is. And God, I pray that we would become more spirit-empowered, more spirit-enabled, more spirit-led, and more spirit-driven people as we look to see the gift of the Holy Spirit blossom in each one of our lives. God, I thank you that you are close, that you love us, and that you are personal. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm tired of forcing moments, conjuring up emotions, put your name on it.
Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family, we go. Ironically, the stage is where we hide us. That's why we need you. Lord, we need you.